Praise God. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and get it out. Open up your Bible apps on your phone or whatever you have. And go with me to John 17. John chapter 17. I started teaching a series a few weeks back called Beloved. Is anybody, is anybody, is anybody in here beloved? You are whether you know it or not, but I hope that you will be knowing it and knowing it in an increasing fashion. Jesus was praying in John 17. We have a record of that prayer. Jumping in the middle of it, verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me, you there being the Father, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, I think most of us recognize the importance and the value in the world knowing that the Father sent Jesus. I mean, that's kind of our message. But notice Jesus tied something else to it. Not only do they need to know that the Lord Jesus came from heaven, came from God, they also need to know that we are loved just as much as He is. I mean, that's quite an outstanding statement. I think most of us can easily uh, grab a hold of the fact that Jesus is lovable and that God the Father loves the Son. But to say that we are loved to that same degree, ah, that's a little stretch for our minds. Hopefully we will go tilt. Really? We really love just as much as Jesus? That is the truth. And so uh, I have taught in previous weeks about the foundation of our relationship with God and, and the success of our relationships with each other is found in knowing and receiving God's love for us. If a person can open their heart to acknowledge, embrace, receive, and understand how much God loves them, it's totally a setup for success. The fix is in. If you can get a hold of God's love for you, you are you have a far greater likelihood of just really succeeding in life. Not only that, having a proper relationship with God. How many recognize that you're not truly going to have a right relationship with the Father if you think He doesn't really like you very much? And you know how many people that is really true about? I mean, a whole bunch. It's just wrong. It's, it's incorrect. So my goal is to blow that up. To blast out of you any kind of ill feelings about yourself and how you stand before God and His, His love for you. And so when it comes to church, when it comes to our relationship with God, the first goal is not to get us to love God as much as possible. That is a, a worthy and noble thing. But the first goal, it starts with receiving His love for us. Okay, I can't properly love God the way He deserves, the way it's supposed to be, if I don't first receive His love for me. My love to Him is a response. Everybody okay today? 
All right. Sometimes people think Jesus came to the earth so we could give our hearts to him. No, no, no. Actually, it was the opposite. Jesus came to the earth so he could give our give his heart to us. Yeah. Should we give our hearts to the Lord? For sure, for sure, but that's not first. That's second. It's a response. He came to give his heart to us. Ezekiel 36:26 reads, "I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." What God came to do was fix us. Not he came so we could fix ourselves. Not he came so we could be good enough and improve our lives to the, to, the, to the point where He could truly love us. No, He loved us, period. And because of His love for us, He came to make things better in our lives. Amen. Amen. And so once we grasp this love, this crazy love that goes beyond logic, we can truly live and love like He does. Uh, I want to read First John today, First John chapter 4. I'm going to go there, and then we'll go one other place after that. But 1 John chapter 4, um, let me remind you about the author of John, the book of John. It was a guy named John. <laughs> or if you're French, Jean. <laughs> uh, uh, but John, you remember who John was? John was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He is the one that we taught about previously that referred to himself in his own writings as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, so one of his great revelations was simply how much God loved him. And that revelation in his life produced tremendous benefits, but it also, you, you can see it reflected uh, in his writings, that he was inspired to write about the love of God um, in, in ways that other people didn't. And so, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, uh, John writes, Beloved, there we go again, <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another. So you be loved, so let us love one another, for love is of God. You like to know what's of God and what's not of God? Let this be clear in your mind. Love is of God. Yeah, of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So that's quite a statement. If you love, you're saved. If you love, you came from love. If you love, you know God. Now, how, how many recognize you have to define love to say that or you have to understand what love is to say that? Uh, I'm going to get into that later, another time. But you can you can very quickly misunderstand or misuse the word love, and then you say, "Hey, well, anyone who loves is born of God." Wow! And then you know how people define love as what really they should put lust there, and they use the word love instead of lust. Oh, I lust you. I mean, you know. And so we have to understand what God means when he says love. It's like that, that old movie, you know, one of the best movies of all time. The Princess Bride. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there, they had that little guy. That little guy, uh, I was reminded his name is Vincini. Vince, Vincini. And he was that little guy. And, uh, and he kept 
responding to all kinds of things that were happen, happening by saying, inconceivable. <laughs> if you saw that movie, you remember. And then finally, uh, one of the other guys said, you keep using that word. Oh, I think it was Inigo Montoya who said that. <laughs> you remember, you killed my father, prepared it. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Inigo Montoya said, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I think that could be said about love and probably a whole bunch of words. People take a spiritual word that has much depth and revelation to it and they slap a human interpretation on it. And all of a sudden it's fleshy and it's just feeling oriented and it's whatever you want it to mean. Uh, I want to stay with what God means when he says love. And so as we go along, that'll become more clear. But uh, he who is born of, uh, he who loves is born of God and knows God. So you could say, if you're saved, you are born of love. You were born of God. It's really saying the same thing. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so love reveals a person's knowledge of God. The more I'm able to live a life of love, it, it is a revelation of my understanding of God's heart towards me. If I do not recognize God's love for me, then I'm going to have a very difficult time expressing that love or being in a, a, a good relationship with Him and with others. And so loving others is dependent then on knowing God. I want you to consider that. So how many, so a lot, lots of people have good relationships without knowing God, not to the level that He proposes to us. All the instruction in the world will not enable a person to give what they don't have. And if I really want to have natural relationships to the highest and a relationship with God to the highest, I need the capacity to do that. I have to have the wherewithal within me to love God, to love people. And so I must understand how He thinks about me in my life. Everybody okay? Our poor relationships with others are very often indicative of a poor relationship with God. Now, I know that's quite a strong statement, and, and, and some will ponder that for a while. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I have a really close relationship with the Lord. I just hate people. <laughs> Listen, you do not have a close relationship with God and hate people. You don't. That's just oil and water. They just do not mix. And sometimes we deceive ourselves thinking my relationship with God is great. I'm just full of His love. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't come out of us towards others. So I really want you to consider these possibilities that we need to go back to the source to love Himself to learn how to do this, how to do life, how to relate to Him, and how to relate to other people. Look down at verse 9. Well, it's the next verse. Um... Uh, it, it, it reads, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Okay? Toward us. His love. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You could say many things about God, but this is one of the most outstanding and clear and simple, condensed explanations and descriptions of who He is. 
right here. God is love. Is he other things? Well, you could say a bunch of statements about him that are true, but he is love. And I would say from this passage that I'm not saved because I love God. I'm not saved. I'm not going to heaven because I love God. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved because he loved me and I received it. Yeah, we do have a part to play, but it's kind of the easy part. He did the loving. I said, yes. Obviously, that's a smart move. But the lost person then, who are they? They're the ones who have not received God's love. What's the difference between a saved person and a lost person? Well, you could, you could sum it up this way. One has received God's love. The other has not received God's love. Now, now consider it this way. We all have faced uh, challenging relationships or been around people who were uh, harmful to us or hateful or mean or cruel towards us. Maybe, I mean, we've probably been on both sides of that equation if we're going to be honest. Uh, but people who have treated us in a wrong way, well, why did they do that? Why are people mean? Why are people unkind? I like to go back to the source. When someone is lashing out at, at another person, that reveals to me they lack a revelation of God's love for them. And I know uh, that uh, we all face some of these challenges with other people to fight back or to be hurt when someone does something against us. You know, obviously I've had, we've had three kids and, um, you know, through the teenage years there can be a lot of drama with people at school and all that kind of stuff. And it's very common for kids to, you know, lash out at others and treat them in a poor way. I've tried to help them to understand this. If they're doing that to you, they have a, they have a void inside of them. Why would they, for no reason, attack you or come against you or speak against you or tell a lie or gossip or rumor or anything like that? There's something missing in their life. They don't know how much they're loved. And I know it's a challenging thought, but maybe if someone comes out against you, you should respond and say, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Now, they may not recognize that's what they need, but it is. And if you are tempted to speak out and gossip or lash out at anyone, anyone else, can I tell you something? I tell you, Jesus loves you. I tell you, you know, you don't really have to be that way because you are loved by God. Amen. Look at the next, well, look, look at verse 12. I'm going to pop through this a little bit. 4 and verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. So I want you to see that that's a thing. Love being perfected in us. If it can be perfect in us, it could be imperfect in us. All right? Uh, if we love one another... God abides in us. His love has been perfected. That's what I, w I would desire. Now, one can use the word love. I throw this out again. Without knowing what love really is, you can say love, but not really have the love of God in your heart. Verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. So, again, who's writing this? The disciple whom Jesus loved. And what's he emphasizing? 
We know how much God loves us. We believe the love He has for us. It's not just what we do. It's what He has done on our behalf. This is... Um, uh, I lost my place. God is love. Said it again. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So it's interesting that we can, to some degree, substitute those words, God and love. Love and God. You believe in love, you believe in God. Same thing. Yeah. Do you have God in your life? Do you have love in your life? It's the way he wants to be known. It's the way he, that he really is. And part again, let me say it this way. When a person gets saved, they are receiving God's love. That love is a substance. It's deposited in your spirit. It's something you carry around with you and can live with all of your days. You want what's received in the spirit to affect your mind. But this is so huge that we know that we are loved of God. T- turn over with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15, Jesus was teaching, well, let me read the first two verses here, and then there's three stories, we'll just do one of them. Uh, Luke 15, verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so again, the religious people of the day didn't like the fact that Jesus liked sinners and they liked him. He hung out with sinful people and they put up a fuss about it, right? So in response to that, interesting how some of these teachings come out, Jesus starts telling stories. And the the first one he told was about the lost sheep, okay, and we won't read that one, but got a hundred sheep what does the shepherd do he leaves the 99 to go after the one who was lost doesn't mean he left the 99 open for for wolf attack but he went after the one that one was valuable to him the one who got away the one that very valuable to the lord okay that's what he's teaching and then he told another story about a lost coin about a woman who had 10 coins and lost one and she's scouring the house because that coin is important, it's valuable. It's not just that she has nine other ones. She, needs, she wants that lost one, very important. And God likewise goes after people and we should go after people. We're looking for them. We're, we're trying to rescue people out of their lost condition. Okay. The third story is what we want to read and it's the story of what we refer to as the prodigal son. Okay, Luke chapter 15, verse 11, 15, 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Okay, get the picture of the, uh, of the story here. The father had two sons. I mean, no, both sons didn't leave. These two sons grew up in the same environment. They had the same father. They had the same provision. They, uh, same, but one of them made a choice to leave. Is that still true today? I mean, people have a right to choose. The other brother didn't leave. Why did this one leave? He made the wrong choice. He made the wrong decision. But both of them 
were in the Father's house. There's no indication that the Father was cruel or unkind or unfair to this, to this uh, younger son. He was the same. He was loved. But he still made a choice to go. That's the reality of our relationship with the Father, isn't it? He loves us. He treat, the blessings of God are equally distributed. Gifts and callings are separate. But the blessings of God are equal for all God's children. We all have equal access. Why do some people choose to leave? Well, you could say temptation. You could say whatever it might be. But it doesn't seem to be the Father's fault. We know this story ultimately is a, is a picture of the Father in heaven and us. Okay? And so this son went into prodigal living um, uh, and he went into a far country, it says. Far away from the Father. But why would you go to a far country? Why not just go, go to the next town? And just go to the next city over? Well, because people, when they want to do the wrong thing, they want to get away from God, they don't want to hear from anybody. They don't want to have that influence in their life anymore. They want to do their own thing. They don't want to hear about it. All right. Nowadays, people do the same thing. They move away or they cut off certain friends or you know, their social media stuff starts eliminating people who are going to speak truth into their life, who are going to encourage them and who are going to uh, encourage them to walk with the Lord. So they cut all those connections off. That's what this person's doing. It's get away. If you ever find yourself in that position, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to deal with that anymore. You're going off to a wrong place. Okay, uh, let's keep reading verse 14. But when he had spent all, and that's inevitable, your resources will dry up. <laughs> Especially when you live in the world. When, you know when I say live in the world? I mean that in a sinful sense. Sin is expensive. Sin will clean your bank account out. It will. I mean, you get involved in different things that maybe some substances that make you feel good for the moment, but then you add on to that the car accident, the fight, and the lawsuit, <laughs> and then pile on all these things, and then the night in jail, and then the divorce, and then the lost job, and then, I mean, I'm just telling, saying walking away from God might seem like, hey, this, is, this could be okay for a while, yeah, until... You have spent all, because that lifestyle is not helpful. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, where he sent him into the fields, his fields, to feed swine. Okay, now we might think of that, oh, he got a job at the pig farm. Not the maybe the best job uh, feeding pigs, maybe not his ideal choice, but some might think, ah, oh, that's not too bad. I mean, I have a pretty rough job too, kind of hard work. This was more than dirty. It's more than just kind of a messy job. And how many know with the Jews, you don't have anything to do with pigs, with swine, because according to the law, the law of Moses, that was an unclean animal. So it's not only... It's not only like sloppy and messy and maybe, uh, you know, a lot of work. This is sinful. He's involved in the lowest of low. He has reached the very bottom of his life to accept a job where in that culture where you're working with the swine. Man, you have gone off the rails. Okay. Um, 
verse 16, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. When you, again, now when you are glad about eating pig's food, we could say it like this, when you are glad with a sinful lifestyle, when it starts looking appealing to you, when you start wanting to be out there and, and partaking in things that are contrary to God's ways, it's time to run home. It's time to run home. You may be listening to me today and you say, that's exactly what I've been doing. I've been eating and I've, I've been getting my fill off the world system and off a wrong lifestyle. Can I give you a word? Turn around and come home. Well, I mean, I haven't read the punchline yet, but I'm telling you early, come back. Come back. You'll be accepted. Don't stay out there with the pigs. Verse, uh, verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Notice the guy came to himself. That's probably a way of saying his eyes were opened. The revelation of his condition became obvious to him. All of a sudden he's looking around saying, What in the world am I doing? Why am I out here? I, my servants, are at least they're fed. My father's servants, at least they're fed. At least they have a roof over their head. I'm out here in the slop with the pigs. What is happening? You know, that's not God's best way of getting someone's attention. And I'm going to say, let me say that better. That is not God's way of getting someone's attention to push them to the lowest, to put them in the pig slop. No, no. However, if it takes that, at least people's eyes open. Sometimes we say it this way. The, the school of experience is a great teacher, but the tuition is way too high. You don't want to go to this before your eyes are open to the right way and the wrong way. To God's way and the ways of, this, of the flesh and of the world. See it while you're still in the Father's house. And say, ew, why would I ever do that? Instead of, what am I doing out here? But thank God it, it, it did happen. Um, verse 18, I will arise and go to, go to my Father. I will say to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Is that still true today? Is sin just against one another? No. Sin is also against God. And first and foremost, if I sin, it's not just about what I may have done wrong to you. It's about what I've done before God. Keep that understanding at all times. Because the far country, no matter how far you go, there's the Lord saying, Hey, hey, <laughs> what are you doing out here? <laughs> Right? He, you never get away from him. And if you keep this revelation, and it took this guy a while, the prodigal son a while, to come to this realization. But finally he got it and said, man, I've sinned against heaven. He said, this is what I'm going to say to my dad. This is what I'm going to say when I get back. Verse 19, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. By the way, that's how you get grace. Not, I deserve this. I've earned this. This is my right. You know, as, as, if, as if people owe us something just because we're born. This is my right. You, you have to do this for me. No, come on now. No one has to do anything for us. Just because we were born, we're deserving of all kinds of whatever. No, come before God like this. I've sinned, and I'm asking you for your mercy and your grace. 
Verse 20 uh, uh, reads, And he arose and came to his father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Let me back up before the kiss. Do you notice the father didn't go to the far country to get him? He didn't go after him in that regard. He wanted him back, but he wasn't going to go to the pig swap, slop, swamp uh, to go get him. You know, there's some truth in here. Sometimes when people make the wrong choice, they go the wrong way, you have to let them. It's hurtful. It's, you don't want to. You want to force them. You ever wanted to force someone? You can't force their heart. People making the wrong decision. As a pastor, I've seen this so many times. Dude, you don't want to do that. Matt, you don't want to go there. Oh, don't do that. You want to talk them out of it. But then you have to let them go. You're going to ruin your own life. And it hurts your heart. But sometimes people have to get to the end of the rope and realize, oh, what am I doing out here? And then make their own decision to return. Unfortunately, God will let us do that. I say unfortunately or fortunately. But when we do decide and come back, you know what it looks like? He is out at the end of the road by the mailbox. And maybe the, the other family members, and the, in this case the servants and different ones, maybe they're asking the, the, the father of this family, why do you always hang out there by the mailbox? What are you always doing out there at the end of the road? You know what he's doing? He's waiting for his son to come home because he wants him back. And others are saying, well, you saw what he did. He took all your money and wasted it and on that crazy living. He went out there. He did his own thing. Just let him, you know, he made his bed. Let him lie in it. And the father says, no, no. He did make his bed and he is lying in it, but I, I want him back. And he's out there looking. He's waiting for him. He is a long way off and he is waiting for him to return and come home. Amen. Do you think the, the Father is that way with us today? Do you think if anyone in here has gone off into a far country? Do you think the Father's thinking about you? He's been thinking about you since the day you left. Wanting you to come back. Why don't He come get me? He's out at the end of the road. And as soon as you make a step towards Him and head back to the Father's house, you've got a hug coming. You've got a kiss coming. <laughs> You've got an embrace coming. And he will be so thrilled to see you back. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Put him out back in the, in the shed for a few years. <laughs> Let him learn his lesson. No, he had already learned, learned his lesson, so to speak. What is, but the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is the heart of the Father revealed to us. What is He waiting for? I tell you, when His children get away from Him 
As soon as they come back, the party starts. Hey, man, I remember uh, recently seeing this meme that was contrasting uh, religion and relationship. And this is the way it was written. You, Some of you may have seen this as well. It, it, under the religion heading, uh, the, the quote, the saying was, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. And under the relationship heading, it, it read, I messed up. I better call Dad. When we know the heart of the Father, if we mess up, what are we doing? See, some people are running from, running from God out of ignorance. They think He's just ticked off and mad, and yet He's down there hanging out by the mailbox at the end of the road, hoping you'll return, hoping you'll come back, not so He can give you a lashing, but so He can give you a kiss, so He can give you a hug, put the ring on, the robe on, the sandals on, light it up, come on, start the music, let's start to have a party, because my son who was gone, who was lost, has now returned home. It's similar to what Jesus taught us, how when one sinner repents, there is joy in the presence of the angels. Who is that? That's some of your parents and your relatives and some people that I know, and it's many others who have gone on to heaven before us, and here in the presence of God, when one person says, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Here we go again. Light it up. Come on. I don't know about the calf being killed there, but you know. <laughs> but the music starts. The party starts. There's great rejoicing. I imagine heaven at times gets pretty loud because they're shouting because someone else got saved. The father not only accepted the son back, not only did he say, yes, come on in. You're welcome here. He did far more than he asked. The, the son was just saying, just give me a, let me be like one of the servants. Just let me survive here. Let me. The father did way more. He elevated him and brought him back to full sonship. His full position was reinstated. He received his place back and he was honored. He was uh, celebrated. And I tell you, that is a picture of the father towards you and me today. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody good? Yeah, I have much, much more to say. If you come back, I'll say it again. And I'll say more. And the Lord will reveal His love for us on a greater level. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you.